You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. going to start. I'm not even going to make you do it again. Uh, Hey, what's the most uh, boring theological argument ever made? What is it? Anybody have one? All right. You guys are off to a good start today. (laughs) I'm going to tell you mine. The most boring theological argument ever made is this, the existence of God, proof for the existence of God. That bores me to death. It's called apologetics. How many people have heard of apologetics before? Yeah, so people will say, hey, um, I have a lot of evidence that, that God exists and I want to come to Forefront and preach out. And I'm always like, no. And people are like, why? And I'm like, I don't care that much. And they're like, but you should care. You're a pastor. And I'm like, no, I like kind of living in the mystery. I like living in the unknown. That part's cool. And then, and then atheists get really upset. Don't you care about the lack of evidence of God? No. Not really, no, I like living in the unknown. Because here's the thing, when you're talking about apologetics, and by the way, this might work for some of y'all, and some of y'all might be Christians because of apologetics. I don't want to take that from you, okay? That's a good thing, all right? But for me, I'm like, when we're thinking about apologetics, all I'm trying to do is use my inadequate and finite brain to make sense of God. And if God is really God, then my inadequate, finite brain is not going to be able to do that, right? And I don't want to worship a God who I can get with this brain, which I only use about 10% of. You see what I'm saying? So for me, I'd rather live in the unknown because the unknown says, okay, well, God's infinite and and unimaginable and maybe beyond my finite, inadequate brain, right? So that's where I stand. So I'm a pastor. I just told you I don't care about the existence of God. (laughs) Uh, When do I care about God? I care deeply about God in the midst of profound disruption. You want to know where I find God? I find God in the midst of profound disruptions. I always say this. Don't give me evidence of God. Give me a really big disruption, and I'll show you the divine being up to something in our world and in our lives. That's what I'll do. This is, we got precedent for this. There's precedent. Let's think of it like the two most famous people in the Bible after Jesus. We got Moses, right? Moses killed somebody and ran away for 40 years. Y'all ever kill somebody and run away for 40 years? <laughs> If you did, you're biblical. Good for you guys. Uh, And he goes away, runs away, starts a new family. He's got, like, a good life going. Lots of, like, new camels. Things are cool. And the next thing, God shows up in this burning bush, right? Major disruption. Says, you need to go back to where you killed somebody, and you're going to have to free millions of your people. Can you do this? And, of course, Moses is like, this is miserable. Why? Because major disruptions often are, right? Major disruptions often feel difficult and painful, but that's where the good growth happens, right? That's, that's where we have our great growth. That's where, that's where we become. And so it's in the midst of that that I see God at work, those major disruptions. What about Paul? Another famous person outside of Jesus. Paul had it all. He was pretty wealthy. He was a teacher. Paul could kill people and get away with it legitimately, kind of like Moses. We're seeing a theme here. And kill people and get away with it. Next thing you know, he gets knocked off a horse. He gets blinded. And God says, hey, you're going to go do my work. Paul has to grow. Kind of loses. He loses all of his status. Loses all of his wealth. He can't kill people anymore the way he wants to. 
right? <laughs> All that is gone. And uh, it's tough. There's growth. He's imprisoned. He has to do a lot of this really hard work for the sake of the gospel, but it's the major disruption. You see, don't give me evidence of God. Give me a major disruption. I will show you God at work. How much is that true for you all? Anybody? Yeah, I think like, you know, I think about us. I think about us as a church, and I think about people who are like, hey, I'm in the midst of this deconstruction because the, the, the Bible that I had or whatever I had, it doesn't quite make sense to me anymore, and I don't know what to do with it. And so all of a sudden, we're, we're like, well, maybe this is the absence of God. And I say, no, no, no. This is where God exists. This is where God is at work in our lives. Or you're queer and you're like, hey, I identify as queer and I've been told that God doesn't love me this way and the church has told me this and all this. And I would say, no, this is not where God is absent. This is the major disruption where God is in your life, doing the good and divine work. I remember in 2014, Michael Brown was murdered. And I remember there were so many churches doing good anti-racist work and we were not one of them. And I remember thinking, this white guy with a lot of privilege needs to step up we need to be an anti-racist church, even though I'm a limited leader for obvious reasons. And even though we're gonna, it's going to be messy, we're not going to quite get it right. And that's God being up to something in the profound disruption. Then we learn from others who have been doing the work all along. Right? I want to tell you about one more profound disruption. This profound disruption is my favorite profound disruption. It happens in Acts. It's with Peter. And listen, I've preached on this at Forefront. has to be like I, I, probably once a year. How many of y'all, I mean, I'm not even going to ask if you remember me preaching on it. But anyway, yeah, I preach on it. It's called Peter and the Sheets. And every time I preach on it, I think the same thing. The wire, the center for the wire. She, if you know, you know. All right? But anyway, I think about that often. And so we're talking about Peter. This is my favorite disruption because it is personal for me. And it says this. It says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray, and he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, your Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And then this voice spoke a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Peter falls into a trance. Trance translates into ecstasy. How many of y'all have ever been in ecstasy before? Okay. How many of y'all have ever been on ecstasy before? <laughs> MDMA got y'all feeling like a champion. Right? You don't have to answer that, by the way. Don't answer that one. Don't answer that one. So anyway, anyway, so Peter's in ecstasy, right? That's where Peter is. And so Peter, being in ecstasy, uh, says no to God three different times when this great disruption happens. Why would Peter say no three different times when this great disruption takes place? Well, because Peter understands God the way I think a lot of us understand God, and that is through conviction and morality, right? That's the way Peter understands God. He's from Capernaum. In Capernaum, what they do is they follow the Torah. The Torah is that connection to God. You want proof of God? Follow the Torah well. God blesses your life. It's that simple. For thousands of years, this is the way that they did life. It was all about your conviction. Here's what the Torah says. It's important for us to read it so we see why Peter would maybe be upset about God doing something like this. Um, and i got to find it. It's, there it is. He says, do not eat any of their meat or touch their carcasses. They're unclean for you. 
Everything in the water that does not have fins and scales will be detestable to you. You are to detest these birds. They must not be eaten because they are detestable. And all the four-footed animals that walk on their paws are unclean for you. These creatures that swarm on the ground are unclean for you. So now the sheet comes from heaven. All the things that Peter's told he's not supposed to eat are now good for eating, right? And you kind of get why he says no. This is a giant disruption. And it's asking him to go against what he's done for thousands of years. Ask him to go against our conviction. How many people can call? I feel this. I think with us, you know, we don't have this direct connection to God, so we use our Bibles. And in fact, I was having a conversation last week with a friend who, who met with another pastor cheating on me. And um, <laughs> as he met with this other pastor, this other pastor said, well, if we don't have the Bible, what's our final authority, Right? Kind of the same thing with Peter, like this idea that there's got to be a final authority, and that final authority is usually a rule or a conviction or a morality, the same way we do that with our Bible. Yeah, the Bible's inspired, but, but it's still being written, right? So anyway, Peter says no. God says it to him two more times. Peter's disrupted, and he goes, all right, I got to grow. I got to do this. Basically, this is what I hear God saying. In essence, I've always heard God say, Peter, by you trying to prove me, study me, follow the law, you're making me obsolete. I'm sitting here trying to tell you that I'm far more loving, inclusive, caring, gracious, and you keep saying no. And I live and I move and I have my being in the disruptions. See, it's possible to exist and resist the very growth and change and expanding consciousness that God desires for each of us by appealing to our religious convictions. So what happens next? Peter stops. He goes, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start eating this stuff. I'm going to start hanging out with people I'm not supposed to hang out with. And legitimately and literally, that takes the gospel to Asia, to Africa, to the Middle East, to Europe. And I kid you not, we are literally here today because Peter decides to say yes in the midst of disruption. Peter says, no, we're not here today. That's literal and that's true and that's what disruption does. See, don't give me evidence of God. Give me a good disruption and I'll show you the divine at work in our lives and in the lives of others. That's where it happens. What about our church? Oh, boy. So 10 years ago, we started this church. (laughs) 12 years ago, we moved to this city. My kids were um, 17 months old and three weeks old. Don't do that, by the way. So, so they were that age. We were the associate pastors at another church on the Upper West Side. And within a year, that church was done. Like, it just kind of failed. We didn't know what we were going to do. We had young kids. All of a sudden, Brian Mall calls me. He's the, the founder of Forefront in Manhattan. And he calls me. He goes, hey, do you want to plant Forefront Brooklyn? And I'm like, do I have a choice? Like, what am I going to do? And y'all, should we thank God for this disruption? Because this is what we've become. Yeah. Absolutely. And then my dad comes out as trans. That's not as much as a, of a disruption as it was like a, an upending. Um, it upended my life completely, and it was just hard, and it was ridiculous. And, and, you know, here I am struggling with all these things, but this one thing is gnawing at me. And it's, hey, Jonathan, your private beliefs and your public beliefs do not add up. They do not line up. Because, you see, we were getting hundreds of thousands of dollars from all these churches that weren't affirming, and I knew people might walk out of our door if my private beliefs came out as public. And what I heard God saying is, hey, Jonathan, there's a sheet coming down from heaven. It's your dad, and your dad's trans, and now you got to step up. And you have got to publicly talk about this. And you've probably got to affirm because I'm more inclusive. I'm more loving. I'm way more gracious than you could ever imagine. Stop getting in the way of what I'm up to and answer the disruption. And so we did. 
And if you've heard me on any, whatever, podcast, TV show, article, I say the same thing every time. I say, we came out as affirming, we lost a lot of people and hundreds of thousands of dollars, it was the best thing we ever did, right? Constantly I say that. That's what it looks like when we answer yes to the disruption. When we answer yes to the disruption, you know, don't give me evidence of God. Give me a good disruption. I'll show you God at work. And that's it. And I think that continues. We usher in the next 500 years because we were like, how do we disrupt nationalism in our Christianity, wrath in our Christianity, hell, exclusivity, duality. Let's usher in the next 500 years. That's what's going to do it. You see, our church, we live in the disruption. We are moved by the disruption. We, for lack of, uh, I don't know, maybe we love it a little bit. It's who we are. And then this past year, how many of y'all got disrupted? Yeah, that was profound for all of us. What a traumatic experience we're all still going through, right? And it was in this time that we had to make some big decisions. It was in this time that some of y'all decided that you were going to separate from someone. You were going to be a part of someone's life. You were going to show fidelity. You weren't going to show fidelity. You were going to move. You, you were not going to move. There was a bunch of different things that you decided that you had to do, all of which were really, really difficult and felt really, really disruptive. Am I right? It felt that way. And yet we did it anyway because we're like, something's happening. God's up to something. Something's going on in my life, and i got to listen to it, and i got to pay attention to it, right? And we were all kind of there, and this was the place that we were all going. And so in the midst of this trauma, we said, I'm going to follow this disruption, and it's going to be painful like it was for Moses and for Peter and for Paul, but I'm going to grow. And there's going to be a God in it. God's at work in it. And the same is true for my family. You see, in my family, we recognize that there is something going on in us too. We decided that big things were happening in our lives and big changes needed to be made. We, we felt like there was something new going on in the midst of this disruption we decided we needed to take the next step too because it's in disruption is that's the only place we've ever really felt God and know God. So we have to listen when the disruption comes and the disruption came to us. And it's in that disruption that I need to tell you today that I am going to step down as the teaching pastor at Forefront Church. That's going to happen on August 8th. And I'm not, it's hard, <laughs> it's hard, right? There's grief. It's a little scary. We're allowed to be scared, right? There's allowed to be some grief. And I think about all that came before me and followed disruption. I think about how painful it was for them, and then I think about how much growth comes from it. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this decision. Will you hear me out? All right, let's do it. Let's talk a little bit about it. I want to talk to you about last year when that disruption first started. Y'all remember that? Last year I read this quote. It's by a guy named Parker Palmer. He says this. He says, we're created for community to be there in love for one another. But community cuts both ways, and when we reach the limits of our own capacity to love, community means trusting that someone else will be available to people in need. And so when we started this church, you know, Juby and I were available to people in need. Thousands of you, literally, walked in and out of this door. And I think we did our best to love well. I think we did our best to serve well. And I'm really proud of this church and the fact that we have loved and served well. You know, it's hard to know it in the midst of COVID because nothing feels quite settled. We're the most financially healthy we've ever been in the life of our church. That's like super exciting. Keep, keep supporting it. But yeah, it's super exciting. Like that's a good thing, you know. Uh, and it's hard to know because of COVID and all the rest. But today, as it stands, we have 1,800 people who are either friends or members here at Forefront. 1,800 of us. We are leaving a legacy at this church, and we're proud of that. 
But last year, guys, I was tired. And I couldn't serve well the same way I was before. I couldn't love well. The best way I can describe it to you is that I felt like I was filling up with a quarter tank of gas every day and then expecting it to take me like 500 miles. That's the best way I can describe it. And so I was just constantly on fumes. I didn't have vision. I didn't have, I didn't, like, what comes next? What are we going to do? I don't know. I don't have it in me. And so it was COVID, right? We all felt this way. So I was like, oh, it's just COVID. That's all it is. And I was like, it'll change. It'll change. And I waited for that change. And then I was like, oh, maybe it's just, um, uh, you know, maybe I just need a rest. So last year I went to the leadership team. I said, hey, give me your, can I get like a six-week break? And they said, yeah, take a six-week break. And I thought that would do it. And I came back. And it still wasn't there. Usually I'm rejuvenated. Usually I'm ready to go. It just, it, I wasn't in that spot. We, you know, I've always tried to be vulnerable about mental health. This is me being vulnerable. I was, I was tired. I was burned. I was finished. And so with that, what I started to recognize was, okay, well, this, this is something I got to listen to. How is God working in the disruption? And then here's how God started working in the disruption. What ended up happening was our staff just jumped in, like, ridiculously. Mac, who's never been on staff at a church in her life, jumps in and takes over all of this that you see here today. Like, it just does it. Just crushing it, seriously. Sarah comes in and like systems upon systems upon systems upon systems to make sure our church runs better. How many annoying emails did you get from her to make sure that our church ran the right way? That was a great disruption. Robbie, you didn't all know this, Robbie's working his butt off to bring church to us virtually every Sunday. Angela's busting out videos left and right, and we're all like dancing in our living rooms. I didn't do that, they did. They did that. Yeah, they deserve this. And then, like, you all, like, here's what happened with you all. What happened with you all is this. We ended up getting 12 deacons who were doing the work I used to do as one person, and those deacons crushed it. You created a care team that served literally hundreds of people. You raised tens of thousands of dollars to give to those people, which we were able to do. And then you raised almost $100,000 more so we could be a hybrid church for everybody here and for all our virtual people. What's up, virtual folks? We did that, right? You all did. You know, I did not do that. You did that. When I didn't have it, you did have it. You created groups. You created groups called deconstruction groups and biblic groups so that people who were feeling the disruption of the spirit could actually continue to live it out. You decided that there's a queer communion space for people who don't know what it means to be queer and Christian, and we created safe space for that. You did that, not me. Jim did trivia nights. My God, it was a nice break from things. And Jim did it, and I didn't do it. You all did it. And what was happening in the midst of disruption was this continued thought in my head. And, and God is talking and God's saying, when we reach the limits of our own capacity to love, community means trusting that others will be available to the people in need. And that's what happened. That is what happened. Others were available to the people in need. And I felt, hmm, at least maybe, like it was okay. Does that make sense? And it was okay because of you. That's why it was okay. Because of each of you. Because of each of our staff. And it made me realize that in the midst of this disruption, there's not going to be another time that I'm going to be on staff at Forefront. And it's scary, and I hate saying it, but at the same time, I feel great peace because all of you get to take this up. 
And all of you get to continue to usher in the next 500 years. And all of you get to be inclusive and affirming and safe space. And all of you get to disrupt others for the sake of the gospel. And all of you, if we have 1,800 now, are going to take this place to like 10K. Because that's who you are and that's what God is calling you to do in the midst of this disruption right now. And I'm thankful for that. I don't know what's coming next for me. It's not ministry. (laughs) And I'm dead serious when I say, if you think I'd be a good fit for your organization or company, let me know. (laughs) I kid you not. (laughs) Seriously, shoot me that email and go, Jonathan, you might be a good fit here because I don't know what I'm going to do next just yet. But I already see God at work in other ways too. Because when it was evident that I was ready to go, I told the leadership team and they stepped up and they prayed and they advised and they supported and they did all that stuff. They put together a a search committee for people to take my place. They found some candidates, really good candidates, all of them. And then there was one particular candidate who I was on the Zoom interview with them and I was talking to them and I got off and and then I just started to cry. And you all know I'm kind of weepy anyway, (laughs) right? But I haven't cried a lot in this process, but, but this time I did and why? I cried because I was like, oh, this person's it. This is the one who's going to usher in the next 500 years, continue disruptions, continue to bring this church to the next level, continue to bug and bother people the way that God does for the betterment and for God's kingdom. This is what's going to happen, and this person is going to do it. This person's got the vision, and this person's going to love thousands well, just like Juby and I have loved thousands well. And so I am so excited that Vanita Robin Jenkins is going to take my spot as a teaching pastor at Forefront. I'm so glad for that. Vanita's here today. You should, you should see, just, just, just pop up, pop up. So Vanita and I, we're tag team preaching next week. You're ready? Yeah, y'all, it's, it's probably going to be the best thing you've ever seen. Um, probably. Uh, so yeah, be here next week for that. Um, and here's what I say to this. I say, don't give me evidence of God. Give me a story of disruption. I'll point you to the divine. Bring Vanita Robin Jenkins to the forefront. That is what I say. Greater things are yet to come. There's bigger things that are going to happen here. I am so proud of what we have done here so far. And I want you all to party with me as I leave, okay? You all know I like a good party. There's going to be announcements about parties and meet and greets with Venidas and get-togethers and all the rest. My last Sunday is the 8th. I'm going to preach up here. And I'd love you all to come hang out with me afterwards. Okay, cool. So pay attention to some of that stuff, all right? But also get ready because God is disrupting you all as well because we're bringing this to the next level, okay? And know that you are a part of that. And so because I'm doing the ultimate redundant message with Peter in the sheets, I figured I'd be super redundant and end this message with two more things that I love. Y'all know I love science and particles and atoms and all this. Find God there too. I also like Rob Bell. So let's do particles and a Rob Bell quote. (laughs) From quantum physics... We learn that when two subatomic particles are bonded, attached together, and then separated, they exhibit fascinating behavior. They demonstrate that they are aware of and affected by the particle they were once attached to, and this is called quantum entanglement. We've been together for a number of years. We're parting in some ways. But we're going to be forever entangled. And I celebrate that for the rest of my life. I get to be entangled in this great disruption 
with each of you. And to that I say, amen. Um, will you all pray with me? God, oh, thank you for disruptions. Thank you that we can curse and scream and cry and whine throughout the whole thing and come out better people on the other side. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for the fingerprints that come in those disruptions. And allow us not to be afraid of them, knowing that that's where we find you and the ways in which you bring your kingdom. We pray all this in your name. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.